Welcome back to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. Thank you for tuning back in. Or if you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in for the first time. This episode is definitely an episode where you're going to learn a lot about mental health and physical health and the correlation between the two as well as just different, just a whole lot of learning on this episode with Leanna McAllister. She's a co-worker of mine who I've actually never met in person because everything I do is remote and she worked at a different office than me anyway, but we were able to have a great conversation about a variety of topics. I had to cut it off because we went way off topic and started talking about all kinds of stuff. But this is a great episode. You're going to enjoy it. Tune in. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. I'd really appreciate it. Share with your friends. More episodes coming soon. Listen to this episode. It's awesome. Welcome, everybody, to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin, and today's guest, I have Leanna McAllister with me, and we're going to, we're going to discuss a variety of topics today, and uh, yeah, uh, me and Leanna work together. That's how I've gotten to know her, and she reached out to me. She's uh, studied my podcast, which is cool. Uh so I appreciate that uh, and gave me some feedback. I'm always open to feedback on, you know, what I can do and how I can make this better and what type of topics uh, people want to hear about. So we've got a few topics for you that we wanted to discuss. And uh, yeah, uh, Leanna, first off, uh, where are you're located in Des Moines, Des Moines area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in, in in the actual city of Des Moines. So, okay. yeah. So not one of the mini suburbs that you guys have? No, although you would call our area Beaverdale. Like it's technically listed as Des Moines, but you would also call it Beaverdale. I don't know. It's Des Moines on the mail. So it's Des Moines on the mail. Yeah. Mm Because there's like Des Moines, then there's West Des Moines, Mm -hmm. um, which they think they're better over there. Um, Yes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, both in Iowa. Are you, you were born and raised in Iowa? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. In Des Moines. <laughs> in Des Moines. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was born and raised right where I'm at too, Davenport. So my dad's uh, from Davenport. So oh yeah, yeah. We, you, we talked mm-hmm. about that. Went to the same high school. That's cool. Yep. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I've been in uh, Iowa all my life. So when did he move to Des Moines? Um college or after well, college? Well, he went to Grinnell. Or? So it's, okay. I guess, kind of a midpoint. Yeah. I guess, I guess they most recently moved to Johnston in the Des Moines area. Gotcha. In 1995, which was when I was born. So like they moved there and then I was born. So. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, do you have any siblings? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I have an older sister. Um, she lives in San Francisco right now, but she's actually going to be moving back to the Des Moines area. It's like a magnet. Is she why is she moving from San Francisco job or um yeah job it's like everybody's leaving California well honestly part of it is that 
so she and her wife have a child and they're also just kind of worried about global warming affecting California because it just lights on fire every year and it yeah, gets really hot. Yeah, a lot of fires. And it's also like three times expensive to have a place there. So that's yeah, kind of where they're moving. It's insane. Mm-hmm. My buddy just um, moved here from Seattle and he's like, oh my God, it's great. He loves it. It's so much cheaper here in oh. Des Moines just Iowa in general is so much cheaper mm-hmm. it's that's a, that's one of the main reasons I'm still here I'm just like I really mm-hmm. yeah I would have to change a lot of things and adjust my lifestyle if I move somewhere you know a bigger city mm-hmm. um so it's like I'll just visit about that because I'll have money to visit so, yeah yeah but uh, we'll start off by talking about uh, one well, a couple of, couple familiar familiar. I always mess up that word. I don't know why. Um, there's like three three or four words you know everybody has that they just butcher every time. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of them for me. But uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. So we talked mm-hmm. about we were both diagnosed with OCD. So when. Uh, when did that start becoming an issue for you? Because it's different for everybody, I've noticed. Well, or when did you really? I start? mean, the compulsions I have are very are really not much of an issue day to day. So I don't think I really fit the like average bill for OCD. Um, so, I mean, I guess to answer your question honestly, probably all my life, but I okay. it wasn't because of the compulsions; it's because of the obsessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, finally diagnosed with it. Like when I was like 20, I think I'm 26 okay, so right now. Late diagnosis, mm-hmm. that, but I'm sure I had it. That's common. Like, I'm sure I've had it all my life. I mean, I, if I think back to like early childhood, I definitely had obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the compulsions I have are, are not, um, really harmful at all. Like I, I do tapping. Like I, I have this thing where I like one, two, three, two, wait, hold on. One, two, three, one, two, one, one, two, three, one, two, one. I don't I've know. I've seen a lot of people with the finger tapping thing. Like that's a very common one. And if somebody touches like one of my shoulders, I have to touch the other one. It's like okay. kind of like a bodily symmetry, symmetry. thing. Yeah. Um, and then I have like verbal compulsions where like, maybe if I'm thinking I'm having anxiety, I'll be like, blah, or I'll be like, <laughs> like say something in Japanese. Um, <laughs> Do you know Japanese? Yeah, I that's, that's cool. I'm I'm really into foreign languages. So, awesome. um, but yeah, I'll usually be like ginyu, which means milk. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. But yeah, but it's a fun word to say, and um, that's a cool word. I I don't know. I like it's it's those kind of things where like, and most they're embarrassing, but it's not like you know, it's such a it, issue where it like damages my day-to-day life mm-hmm. um so I think that's why you know if I was having like really terrible like terrible compulsions as like a little little kid you know I might have gotten diagnosed sooner but it's mostly like like pure OCD as I've seen it described where like mm-hmm. you're mostly about those like intrusive thoughts except it's never like an entirely obsession you know like a lot of people also have compulsions I just didn't really think of those things as compulsions um so yeah that makes sense so kind of uh I wouldn't say you have a 
it's like a maintained, pretty well maintained version of OCD at this point, you would say. Or I would something- say it's taken me a long time to get to this point though, because really it, it's always really been okay. the obsessions. It's never been that compulsions have, have disrupted my life, gotcha. but, um, Here's a life hack. This this post changed my life as dumb as it is. Okay. Um, I saw this post on Tumblr that was like, you should treat your intrusive thoughts like it's some random stranger yelling at you from across the street. <laughs> and yeah. for some reason, that like solved a lot of like the anxiety I was having. Because like, you know, if somebody in the street came up to you and said an intrusive thought that's in your head, you'd be like, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me? Why are you telling me that? Go right. away. Yeah. Get lost. Yeah. <laughs> and so it kind of helped me because I was like, yeah, it is dumb. Just let it be. Just let the thought go. It's fine. Um, I think of it more as a bully, but yeah, similar concept. I just try to find the humor in a lot of things. So I think the absurdity oh. of, um, of a random person yelling at me across the street is part of the, uh, part of what works for me. Cause I just find it so bizarre and absurd and funny that it's, I don't know. It's, it's because OCD in itself is very bizarre. And mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's just like, this makes no sense, but I'm mm-hmm. still obsessing over it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I have dogs in the basement. They, their dad just got home. So oh, it's okay. That's the roommate. But yeah. So you might occasionally hear animal noises, but that's all right. I had I to put my to cat isolate. downstairs mainly because she scratches the couch that I'm sitting on. Been working on that one for a while. Uh, I tried to put up the like this, like these little plastic things that you can put on the on the sides of the couch because she likes the mm-hmm. corners, and she finds other places to scratch. It's just like a lose losing battle for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna declaw her because I'm not an asshole. Uh, That's good. I it's good not to declaw your kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. How, I will. Once you find out how they do it, you're just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. definitely yeah. can't do that oh man yeah. yeah but you can you can do things some things to help it out but you know we just kind of sacrifice I, I spray her with the spray bottle mm. this is one thing i've been doing that's when i can catch her though uh, mm-hmm. i don't always catch her though that's the problem i'm not always in the same room as her when she's doing it a lot of times if you use double-sided tape that can help because they don't like how it feels and it kind of gives them like the initiative of like realizing in their own head that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing got it got it um i think she knows aluminum foil also helps because they don't like the sound when they jump on it Ooh, okay so yeah, I it's something I, I just don't want that on my couch forever you know yeah well i mean really th- you can just kind of put it on and off as needed, you know, because eventually they'll be like, Oh, when I jump on the couch, it makes that big, scary noise. And I don't like that. And then maybe eventually they'll go back to jumping on the couch, but then you could just put aluminum foil there too. So it's kind of a, it's just kind of a simple way of telling them of them making the, like their own conclusion of not to do the thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, But yeah, I, we kind of just let our, furniture suffer in our house well I would not care as much this is the first time in my adult life that I bought new furniture yeah Uh, so I'm very so it's different uh every other time I'm 32 and every other time I've had furniture it's been either a hand-me-down from my parents or I bought like some used 
something off Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've actually bought new furniture. So it's like, oh, can't have nice mm-hmm. things. Just, just can't. Yeah. Do that. Oh, well. She, it's uh, not terrible. She doesn't do. And luckily it's gray. So it's like, you can't really see it that mm-hmm. well. Uh, and the spot she does is like her favorite spots, like behind the chair. So it's like, no one sees when one's looking mm-hmm. behind the chair. So eh, it's all right. She's lucky. I love her. Otherwise it would, I would be really a lot more upset about it. <laughs> it's too cute though. You, know, you can't She's be like, that mad. <laughs> and then she like looks at me, like she'll be like mid, like in the middle yeah. of it. And I'll be like, and she looks at me she's like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. They know, they know for sure. Yeah. That's the one thing I've realized because I had never, I never owned a cat. Uh, I grew up with dogs. Uh, so I, this is a huge learning experience for me. I've had her for a few years, but you know, before that I, I had no idea. I, I never even thought I would own a cat because just I've been a dog person, you know, a dog person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it just was really random. My friend, uh, my friend, hit me up and was just like hey uh so I had she's just one of these people those people that just like she'll just rescue animals uh mostly cats uh but Mm -hmm. she rescued this cat and did not know it was pregnant Uh, and a lot of not a ton of kittens I think there was like five or six oh yeah I think that's about normal uh she's like so do you want one of these cats i was like uh okay i guess why not i mean i'm because i was kind of past the point where i was like i can't really get a dog because i was commuting Mm, so it just wasn't gonna work so i was like yeah cats are a little more i know one thing cats are more low maintenance uh Mm -hmm. they kind of do their own thing so then i ended up with a cat and uh she's uh yeah she basically runs this house i just live here for sure that's how it always is that's how it goes it doesn't pay any bills doesn't help Mm -hmm. out you know but yeah uh she also i have to lock her out of the i converted my spare bedroom into an office once we went remote and uh, i have to lock her out sometimes because she's just like wants attention and she's just Mm -hmm. awful on me like lays on top of me i'm like i gotta like type around her and stuff i'm like it's nice though it's cute. it's nice sometimes but it's like <laughs> sometimes like i had to make a call and she's like purring and it's like right next to the microphone yeah. i'm like mm-hmm. uh sorry you gotta go that's um, cute though but yeah yeah it's it's uh she likes having me home all the time that's that's for sure um but yeah uh yeah, not uncommon uh, compulsions from what I've heard. Uh, yeah, the finger tapping thing. I know some. I know a couple people who do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to do it like a certain number of times, like each finger, or like in a certain like rhythm. Or uh, yeah, I mean, it's the middle finger has to be three times, and then these have to be twice, and these have to be one. But I can also do three, two, one. Okay, what's the fear if you don't, don't do that though? Is there something behind that? Not really. I mean, that's that's probably part of the reason too. I I didn't necessarily think I had OCD. Is that my compulsions don't necessarily have obsessions. Have them. well, I don't know. Like they're not like really doing anything 
I shouldn't say obsession behind issue. them. I should say an intrusive thought behind the well, compulsion. Yeah, like there's, it's usually like a intrusive thought or an obsession that happens and then I do the compulsion, but it's not like the compulsion itself is preventing the bad thing from happening in my head. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes people will be like, they'll check, you know, they'll check their doors so that somebody doesn't come in and kill them or something, yeah. you know, the, the tapping does nothing. It's just a way for me to like distract myself from the obsession. It's not like, it doesn't serve a theoretical functional purpose. Okay, so it's more of a to keep your mind away from the actual thought. I think so. Yeah, so I, like I think avo- that's it's the an reasoning. avoidance tactic. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's yeah, really just avoidance sense. tactics. Although Which I do kind most, of most compulsions are. Mm-hmm. I do kind of have some checking tendencies, but here's the thing: is <laughs> they're kind of justified because I have ADHD, so I do have to kind of like ADHD sometimes involves a lot of people like losing items or forgetting to do routine things. And Mm -hmm. so kind of having those checking systems helps, um, to combat those ADHD situations. Although I do, I do kind of have a stop in my head, I guess, where I'm like, it's really going to bug me if I don't wash my hands after I just touched the sofa, but guess what? It doesn't really matter. So I'm not going to wash my hands, you know, like (laughs) stuff like that. I have to just be like, it's going to bug me, but I'm also going to forget about it in two seconds. So I need to not do it. You know, like you're basically doing ERP without even knowing it right there, by the way, uh, which, which is, that makes sense. Exposure response prevention, which you probably already know that, but yeah, I didn't, don't know, I didn't know the abbreviation, is. but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Cause like, it doesn't matter how much I keep tapping, really. It's not going to do anything harmful. Although I do have finger issues, so <laughs> maybe it will eventually. But, you know, like if I continue washing my hands and they're going to get dry and then they're going to get painful. And so I think at some point I'm just like, it's going to bug me, but I'm not going to do it because it makes no sense. Because part of the other weird. And have you learned that through therapy or is that just something you've like kind of trained yourself on? Uh, I guess trained myself because like having OCD and ADHD at the same time is like such a weird experience. It's a weird combo. Yeah. Because if you also have ADHD, your mind tends to kind of jump around. And so I kind of know that if I ignore that compulsion, I'll forget about it in a little bit. And yeah, so it's just kind of tricky because Sometimes my compulsions of checking and, you know, cleaning and whatnot are justified because my brain moves around so fast, but also on the flip side, I can avoid some of the more uh, stressful situations because my mind moves around so fast because like, it's like a weird, like life hack that sometimes works and sometimes makes things worse. (laughs) Yeah. I would say. Yeah. It makes sense. It's almost like you're. ADHD can almost is almost fighting your OCD for you sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, just like in terms of like how these things are like stereotyped, you know, like OCD is all about, you know, just speaking in like tropes and stereotypes is all about like organization and, um, you know, fine processes, whereas ADHD, you know, they're always like flighty and they don't think about like keeping a topic going or something, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so it kind of, 
if you even like just think about it from that basic like stereotypical trope media level it kind of is like counter opposed to each other so you kind of sometimes people are like how how do those work together and the answer is like weirdly <laughs> they do weirdly, sometimes they almost cancel each other out not all the time obviously. yeah it's like it's it's like my ideal way of thinking is like focusing on a task really intensely for like 15 minutes and then moving to a different other task for 15 minutes and then another task for 15 minutes <laughs> um it's you know I, I really do definitely struggle with each of those things individually mm -hmm. but in certain situations it's kind of nice to have both of them because i don't necessarily have to deal with the the, the strongest ramifications of one um but yeah they, they definitely have given me a lot of struggle so it's it's tricky it's kind of like a situation by situation thing yeah and the adhd when did you really notice i mean obviously have you just noticed that your whole life or is it it was um, kind of like when you're a little bit younger than me but when I was uh when I was growing up it was almost like that was like the flavor of the the, the year or whatever or the trend mm -hmm. was to diagnose kids with ADHD and just give them Ritalin give them drugs and you know yeah turn them I into mean, zombies and mm -hmm. so I don't know if you were a part of that no, I wasn't. Actually, but you actually have ADHD because I know some people that were like said they were ADHD, like, and they actually aren't, you know, mm -hmm. that type of situation. So, uh, most of my diagnoses, like, I really wasn't diagnosed with anything mental until I was like 17. Like, most of these have been like self advocated diagnoses. So, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 17. Um, because I thought that I fit a lot of the criteria. So, I, mm -hmm. I was, I was actually going in. So I have like neurological hallucinations, um, associated with migraines. So sometimes I'll like in a stressful situation, this is so weird to explain, um, uh, like time will slow down and I will hear voices. So I went in for that, but I was like, Hey, while we're here, I think I have ADHD. Yeah. While I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I got, that's when I got diagnosed with ADHD because I guess I've always had those kind of weird temporal distortion hallucinations, but, um, it was during my senior year when I was like doing like ACT stuff. Um, when I had like a big, like hallucination episode during a mock ACT test, which that was not fun because no. I, I just couldn't think right. Um, and it really stressed me out. Um, so that's why I went to the psychiatrist, but I was like, I also think I have ADHD. Can we get that looked at? Yeah. And the, the neurological thing, is that a part of your, your physical disability or is that? Uh, I mean, it's all the same thing in a sense. Okay. Um, I, I think it's a part of my migraines. So I think it's okay. a, I think it is related to Alice in Wonderland syndrome, um, where basically I always have like a 1% of a 1% of everything. I have so many random like little things in my brain, but Alice in Wonderland syndrome traditionally, which is already a rare, a rare syndrome is when you see objects like increase or like grow and, sh and shrink in size and your body might grow and shrink in size. So in my mind, it was kind of like that, except I wasn't actually seeing anything physically shrink in size. I was seeing time slow down. Okay. I have no idea how to explain it. 
too, as somebody who hasn't experienced it, but it's like time is slowing down, but also I'm hearing my own voice speaking separately from my normal voice in my head. And also there's static and whale noises. Okay. I don't know. That's, does this still happen? <laughs> um, in little blips, like in like one, like one or two second blips, but it doesn't really happen now, probably because I'm on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a whole weird thing because that's kind of like, if you ask me if it's a mental or physical disability, it's well, together. yeah, I mean, it's a physical disability in my brain <laughs> and I don't think it's entirely just like traditionally like a neurological situation because it's usually triggered by like anxiety attacks. So okay, that's kind of the tricky thing. Like, so I also have, there's a few other things I have. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic hereditary disease where basically all the joints and like the ligaments in your body are stretchy. So it sounds kind of weird, but it's like everything in your body works at like 80% of normal function or less, depending on who you are. Like mm-hmm. I, I can walk, I can, I can do some exercise, but some people with that disorder, even at my age are completely bed bound because it's just so painful to move. Mm-hmm. But like, here's an interesting thing. If I'm having, if I'm going about my day and something triggers me in some way, let's say it's like a trauma trigger and I get an anxiety attack. I'll tend to dissociate. Do you know what dissociation is? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'll dissociate. And then basically check. it's basically like checking out for a little bit. Yeah. It's like checking second. out, but it's like, it's like extreme zoning out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where like, I can't bring myself back intentionally very well. Gotcha. So then when that happens, all these like little muscles in my body that I've told to keep certain ways so that my ligaments can, um, stay intact. Those, I don't have the mental energy to attend to. So then I start like limping or not being able to walk. Well, you know, like that's it, that's kind of like the weird connection between like those mental illnesses and physical illnesses, because like when one thing goes wrong, everything goes wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And because I have migraines, if I'm getting stressed out, then I'll get a migraine. So now I'm now like if I, because I got triggered by something that triggered my PTSD, now I can't walk well, I'm in pain. <laughs> yeah. It's like this whole, this whole Cycle. debacle. It's, I can only laugh at it because it's so like, come on, man, this ain't fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a rude genetic lottery. Um, so, but I mean, I just learned to laugh and live with it. It's just annoying when it happens, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a weird experience. Um, oh, here's another fun thing. This is actually like a fun, legitimately fun thing. Not actually just saying that to Not downplay. Um, I have synesthesia as well. So, um, do you know what synesthesia is? I do not know. It's, um, so like in your brain, there's like several different lobes that are more like allocated to certain function, like the, the lobes ab- above your ear, the temporal lobes, and there's the occipital lobe, which is like, kind of like back here. Um, anyway, like there's like a, a, the occipital lobe is for your eyes kind of, but the brain can do all sorts of different things with different functions. If it loses a part anyway, mm-hmm. um, basically the, the barriers between in my brain that are telling each other, don't mix these senses are, are lessened. So I, 
I, I have mixed senses for things. So like all letters and all numbers are in color. When I'm in pain, I can sometimes see color. Um, I have sound pain. So like if somebody says something and it's loud, if they say it from a certain direction, it'll hit, it'll feel like it hits me like in that area and I'll be in pain in that area. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. So, I've never heard of this. It's yeah. You'll have to look it up. It's not necessarily like a bad thing. It depends on like the variations you have. How do you spell but, it? Um, S Y N E S T H E S I A. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely have to look that up. For so sure. it's like this, this absolutely absurd chain of events where like I I'll have it like a PTSD trigger. I'll get anxiety attack. My body will start falling apart. I'll get a migraine and then I'll start seeing colors. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot going on at it's once. So rude. It's, it's like, come on. Yeah. This isn't fair. And how long does that usually, how long can that happen? Like as far as the timeline? Um, it really depends on the situation. I think when just starting off with like an anxiety attack by itself, I need to be able to deal with it on my own time. I need to be able to sit in a place, not have people interact with me or expect me to give input output to them when they mm-hmm. ask questions and usually last about 20 minutes. Um, everything else just kind of depends on the situation. Like, yeah, I would say like, I guess the full experience, maybe 20 minutes, but different things of that will come in and out, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, there's been times I have chronic daily headaches. So there's been times when I've had like a horrible migraine that's lasted like two weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's like a, I don't know. It's so situational that it's kind of hard to describe how long it takes, but I would say anxiety attacks nowadays, usually 20 minutes or so. Yeah. And how, uh, how often do you usually have anxiety attacks you, like daily or weekly, or does it kind of depend? Uh, or? It's not very common nowadays. Like, thankfully I am in a pretty good place. Um, honestly, like probably once every few months, it used to That's be good. like, um, probably several times a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And you know, sometimes I'm not having anxiety attack but something disorients me. Like for instance, my parents and I went to Hades town, which is a really cool musical. And when the lights came up, I couldn't walk right. Cause I think the change in lighting mm. messed up my vestibular sense. Here's another thing is when I was, I'm just giving my full diagnostic roster, but I might as well. Yeah. Like as a, when I was little, I was diagnosed with benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, which is like crystals in your ears that form and throw off the liquid in your ears. That shows your vestibular senses, like tells you basically balance. So, and I sometimes have like, I have like vestibular issues where I, I, sometimes I just get dizzy just cause, um, so basically when the lights came up at that point, then I was like, Oh, I can't walk. Cause I'm all funky. I like, I, it feels like my head's kind of floating around itself and I can't really tell where I am. And because I was kind of in that zone, it felt like a little bit less real. So I was kind of dissociating and then my legs started kind of being funky and not really working. Right. So that's just an example, but I was it's totally like emotionally overla- fine. Like an overload of your brain. 
Mm-hmm. But like I was, oh, sorry. Emotionally, yeah, emotionally, you weren't having a panic attack. Yeah, I was fine. I was like, I was talking to my parents the whole time. I'm like, just so you know, like, I'm fine. Like, I'm thinking fine. I just can't walk right. Yeah, I'm just a little, a little frozen right now. Yeah, it's more like, like, like my knees don't remember how they're supposed to like properly move. So they just kind of lock in place and release and lock in place and release. And (laughs) it's just a weird combination of a lot of weird things. Yeah, that is uh, quite the combination of things. A lot of it's a lot of big, especially yeah, synesthesia. Yeah, it you'll have to look it up. There's a lot of cool, a lot of cool things about it. Yeah, Um, that's a new one. Like, that's another mm -hmm. thing about this podcast. I learn something every single episode that I do. Um, whether it's a new diagnosis or just something about a particular disorder or mm-hmm. you know yeah I'm all, all, all about learning learning stuff and I hated school which is the funny part I did not mm-hmm. like school at all but that's because I had other things on my mind <laughs> during mm-hmm. school um, get distracted very easily and I also worked a lot uh, in high school and then in college uh, I basically thought college was uh just an excuse to party all the time so that mm-hmm. was fun uh for a while anyway but stupid it's like I didn't take advantage of you know I just did what I needed to do to get by and pass my classes you know mm-hmm. um but I thought about going back to school uh at some point I just I'm not quite ready it's been a recent revelation I guess um mm-hmm. or a calling I should say uh, just because I don't know, it just seems like the right thing for me to do and something I would enjoy. And that's being a therapist or a counselor. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot of school, there's a lot of school involved. Uh, yeah. I have a bachelor's degree, which is not, but it's not related to psychology whatsoever. I have a business degree in marketing, uh, mm. but you know, I've been through higher education, but so I'd probably just try to get my master's. I wouldn't want to go for doctorate. That's that's I, I think that's too much. Um, mm. I I I gotta know my limits and uh, what I can do and what what I can put myself through. Really, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to overload myself. And uh, yeah, yeah, so. that's really important because, like, I feel like that's something I had to learn is that you know if you if you put your mental health on the wayside to, to do good work. You're not going to do good work. Mm-mm. Or if you are going to do good work, it's going to hurt you later. You're going to have to pay the price. So like, yep, that's just something that I've had to kind of learn. Cause I, I, I really had a bad, um, the worst that I was with my mental health was definitely in college. Um, I actually, I have a two-year degree. I ended up dropping out of the four year because I was just like, I was not in a good place. I wasn't medicated on anything except for ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I, I was just like a, really depressed. It's such a weird time like mm-hmm. in our brains and just. Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, it's kind of hard to know how much I've progressed because I'm only in my own brain, but just like speaking to people, they're like legitimately like shocked how much I've changed. Like I would say like, 
like definitely like in middle school and high school, for instance, I, there were days where I would just not say a word like the entire day. Like I would Mm. have friends maybe. And I I definitely had some very close friends, but I just did not talk. Um, I was just too much going on. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's something that I'd probably have to dive into more, but I, I just didn't want to have to, I was just really socially anxious. Let's just say that I just had big social phobia. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that was the core of it, but also I just was angry and sad, (laughs) which a lot of teens are, but I just had a lot of crap in my brain to sort through. I think that I didn't want to, didn't want to have to sift through and just wanted to get along with life. And then eventually it all hit me and I'm like, God, God damn it. I have to actually deal with these things now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't just ignore things. things aside for so long. Yeah. I mean, it is true that your mind does change and it becomes things do tend to get easier when your brain is like chilled out and it's actually like developed all the way, but Mm -hmm. you also need to like, you can't just push your mental health to the side. You need to at least least understand it at the very least, even if you are going to take the approach of like powering through it, which, you know, there are people who can get by without going with medication or therapy, and then they learn their own mechanisms of coping and whatnot and all the more power to them. Um, but you need to at least understand what's going on yeah, and acknowledge it in order to be able to do anything about it. So it's, it's just the teenager brain, um, or the young adult brain of saying, whatever, fuck it. I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) Not going to do anything to deal with this. Yeah. Or do the wrong things to deal with it. So. Oh yeah. I know all about doing the wrong things Mm -hmm. to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you, you, sometimes you have to learn the hard way is I know. I think I, I also just, I, and this kind of ties into trauma, which we can talk about, but I think a lot of the struggles that I had were such a lack of trust of other people, mm. uh, because I, I didn't want to open up to many people about things because I'm like, they're going to turn on me. You know, like I had like this kind of mentality of like, if somebody would compliment me and I still have to kind of fight it, but if somebody would compliment me, especially in like high school, college or middle school, I'd be like, okay, what's the catch? What are you saying? Like, if somebody would be like, oh, you're really smart. I'm like, okay, how are you going to use this against me? Uh, yeah. And it sounds kind of absurd from an outsider's perspective, but you know, I also dealt with bullying as a, as a, as a kid too partially because I was weird. I was a weird child who tapped her hands and also had PTSD. So I was like, not very aware of, of how that affected me. Yeah. I get it. I don't know. Middle schoolers have like this, like, like this razor's edge accuracy of determining who are the the mentally ill children. (laughs) They're the best roasters. I mean, they're the best roasters. And they also just have this innate, like, like sense in their hormone addled brains of how to pick out the the, the fucked up kids yeah there's a <laughs> like, there's a com- oh, man i can't remember the bit but a comedian i like a lot um john mulaney i don't know if you know who that is oh yes yes uh he has a bit about it where he got roasted by some teenagers one time and they're like they were just so specific and they just knew exactly what to say they're to get me 
Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, and a lot of those people, maybe they grow up to be mean too, but they're not mean in the same like vitriolic pinpointed way. I don't know. It's like something about like being that in that like hormone you're so angry and you're just so angry and you probably hit yourself but you also want to take it out on other people oh, so yeah. you might as well like be a like it's so they're so good at it i hate it <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway like i think ah oh, gosh what was and i the saying the bullying has gotten so much worse now that's what i've heard it's just because of technology I mean, I'm, and social media i'm certain that it's taken its its new forms like i I mean, I, I grew up with social media a little bit, but little I, bit. I never really, I always made my like own day-to-day personality and my social media, very different, distinct entities. I still do. There's still a lot of things that I, I find fun in or activities I do that I do not associate with Leanna McAllister whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I do like that kind of separation, but yeah, I think a lot a lot of pushing off, like seeking help, or even talking about issues was because I had such a lack of trust in people. So, and I can talk about this. Does that come from the trauma? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it does. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about this because I think it's really important that I do. And it's like, it's interesting and also absurd. So let me talk about my trauma. Fun, fun, fun time. There's, yeah, there's really nothing that you can say to me that's going to be like make me think differently oh, of you. By the I'm way. sure. I'm, I'm sure you hear you've judging by the circles that you've been in, you've heard quite your fair I, share of stories. Oh yeah, and people just and that's another reason why I want to be a therapist is like people tell me the deepest, darkest things about them anyway without mm-hmm. even me asking. It's just like yeah, I'm that guy. So you're just like, a very calm person to I, I know like so it's like I you might just as have well a calm just, demeanor it's like I might as well just make this my occupation it yeah makes sense but school so I think also if people know your background and know the places your mind has been and it's not like I know your mind but just judging on your background I think people gravitate towards people who they think can um, understand can empathize yeah or even just like just even if they can understand if you're I mean, obviously, if you're doing a mental health podcast, you probably care about people's mental health. So yeah, <laughs> I would hope. Yeah. So I'm they can come complete, to you. I'm not just a complete narcissist. I mean, I do like seeing views go up and like viewership. Oh, that's like, fine. That's cool. Um, it's yeah, I do do I not do I get something out of that? Yes, but it's like that's not why I'm doing it. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna keep doing it because it's fun to do and I it's a challenge too. Uh mm-hmm. It's another because I've always been bad with consistency. Uh, so I want that can a, really help mental health if you just oh, yeah. do a thing over Routines and over. Routines and consistency. I'm learning a lot about that lately. So I didn't. I threw a. I threw us off there. So we'll get back into the the trauma and mm-hmm. discussing that. That's fine. Getting into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. So okay. So see, it's a weird. It's a weird trauma story. That is also pretty common, but also not many people realize how like fucked up it is. Okay. okay. So basically I, I, from about the ages of, of three and five, I went through medical abuse with a sexual undertone to it. Um, so basically 
I want to start off by saying that I love my parents and they're really good people and I do not blame them for this at all. So, but basically what happened was that um, in about like 1% of children, there's this reflex um, from the kidneys where when they urinate, it comes back up into the kidneys. Um, and so to scream, screen for this, um, you have to have children go through something called avoiding Christourethogram. And that's a, that's a big one. That's a big word. Yeah. Um, it's usually just abbreviated as VCUG. So I'll just call it that. Um, so many acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this one isn't a disorder this time. Um, so I'm going to try and explain this in like the least biased way possible. And you can probably even glean from that why this would be traumatic. So the way that they test this, at least back in my day, now there's a few back more regulations yeah. back in my day and, yeah. in like 1998 or so there's, there's <laughs> yeah. more regulations now, but back in my day, what they do is they bring you into this room. They tell you to take off your pants. They put you on a table. They hold you down. They spread your legs. They put a catheter up your urethra. Yeah. They fill your urethra with radioactive liquid. Your parents aren't allowed to be in the room. They have to leave because it's radioactive. Um, and then they fill it up and then they force you to urinate in front of many adults. <laughs> well, they take pictures because the whole, the whole, now I'm sounding more biased, but the whole idea is that they, they're trying to see from a purely scientific perspective, they're trying to see how the radioactive liquid while they're taking pictures, um, goes, if it goes back up into the kidneys, because if it does, then it indicates that you have that reflex, um, and then it needs to be treated uh, potentially eventually with surgery. So that's, <laughs> I'm shaking a little bit, but that's fine. I want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand why that might be traumatic? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's the kicker. Back in my day, they didn't use sedation or anesthesia. You just had to deal with that. Oh. Yeah. Isn't this like insane? <laughs> it sounds like very out it's, it it sounds like very outdated procedure isn't it bizarre like okay that's part of the reason like the reason i figured this out was that i went to a doctor who was so like i said i mean this is tmi but whatever whatever man whatever oh i've we, we, we've heard <laughs> we've heard some we've heard basically some i went to a adult um like a OBGYN. it was like a combo it's like basically somebody who deals with that area because i yeah. have loose muscles everywhere, let's say. Um, and she noticed that I was having really traumatic reactions to yeah. what was happening. And she's like, yeah, things have changed at least a little bit and you should have been sedated. And I was like, oh, this is like, this isn't just a me thing. I'm not crazy apparently. Um, Cause like, I, I didn't remember as much of the procedure as I thought I did. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, like how does someone not be traumatized by this? Yeah. And with girls, they don't give you, they don't give you uh, any anesthesia. But guys, they do, which is weird because I guess it's just it's a longer entry. <laughs> but still, I mean, I think it's good to have more anesthesia. uncomfortable entry. But it's still uncomfortable either way. I would assume, obviously. And the thing is, too, like as an adult, if you if you have it, it's not as traumatic, or it could be, but it's it still could have pain. But if you're an anxious child being held down by adults then it's yeah. going to be painful. So that's 
when I kind of realized that and I realized I'm like, holy, holy crap, that that's really bad. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't like, and I don't want to say that like BCOGs are always like this because ideally now they at least give you anesthesia, they give you a sedation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also just talk through with you and your parents on, on the procedure. Like, so I don't want to come across as though I think the procedure itself has to be traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even now, I mean, you know, I'm seeing stories from people like from like 2008 and stuff, you know, like to, which would be 10 years after I had my few procedures, they're still mm-hmm. saying my child came back. is absolutely traumatized. You know, like, it's like, come on. Like, I feel like we got to do something about this. And it's, it's kind of, it, it was interesting looking up how people reacted to having the BCOG like years later versus how it's talked about in hospitals. Cause like all, all these hospitals are like, Oh, there's no pain. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, you sure. Phys- so physically there was pain too. Right. I would assume. I would assume um, was, I, I mean, that's a really young age. So it's I, I do remember some things. I, I remember being upset. I remember being very upset, but I don't I remember the full pain, but I did have catheters later in my life. And I, I remember there being like a pinch, a slight pain. Yeah. Um, but like when you're like a very small child and also you're very anxious and very angry and your parents have left the room. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, like, it's a, a whole different ball game. Yeah. So it's like probably have a little bit of or had a little bit of uh, anger towards your parents. Like, oh, how'd you let that? Why? Yeah. And that's not something that I was able really to pin down. But like now going back and thinking about about my childhood, like thinking about all these like little things that I thought I was just a weird kid for having, like having the having these experiences. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, that makes so much sense. So like, yeah, for the longest time, my parents are like, like people who have met them are like, these are like the perfect people. <laughs> like they are, I, I really want to emphasize, I love my parents. They are very, 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 very good people. Yeah, it sounds like nothing they did wrong. So, I mean, they were yeah. just going with, going with whatever the doctors were telling them to do. I yeah, mean, that's the thing. I mean, honestly, it, it's, it, it's a traumatic experience for a parent too. Because a lot of times they don't even tell you, oh, your child has to urinate on the table too. Like that's. That's they didn't walk them through it scary. really. They're yeah. Like, this is, yeah. So, yeah. But like things, thinking back, I'm like, I had a fear of darkness. I had a fear of people looking at me. I had a fear of photography. I had, a, mm. I, I had such a thing with like people looking at me that my stuffed animals could not be facing me while I was sleeping. I had to turn them around to make sure they weren't looking at me when I was yeah. sleeping. And if my friends came over and like picked them up and put them down and they were looking at me, I would have like a panic attack. And like, I thought I was weird. And I mean, I, I am weird. That's fine. But yeah, that's fine. <laughs> if you think about like how the procedure works, it, it's like, oh, God damn it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I uh, can't say I disagree with you at all. So. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's bonkers to me, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it just seems very barbaric. Like in a sense, like, like the way you, it's so bizarre. And like the thing, the worst thing is like, if I came away from that procedure and like the whole world was like, that was horrible. That was terrible. I'm so sorry you went through that. I probably wouldn't have been as traumatized, but when I came away from it and not necessarily my parents, but like 
it's it was, legal. It was, it it was, was per procedure. It, I was just throwing a tantrum. And so yeah. like, then it kind of set up this like precedent for like, whenever I had some sort of mental issue or physical issue, I'd be like, then I'll be like, cause then you'll be judged by it or victimized. Yes. Or- so both, I would keep it away from people because I didn't trust them. And also I would gaslight myself. Basically I'd be like, I am making a big deal out of this mm. because it's not a big deal. And here's the, th- one of the things that like, there's a few things that like made me realize how like upsetting my experience was. One of them was connecting with other people who've been through it and reading stories where people have literally been raped after they've had a VCUG like years later. And they've been like, Oh, thank God. It's not a VCUG at least. Wow. Yeah. And like, and you'd think that that would be a worse experience. Yeah. And I, it's tough because, like, I, I definitely do not want to invalidate rape survivors. No, but I, I also absolutely not. But I also, if you've heard that comparison from people who have been through both, that says something. That says something, right? Like, it's like, it's, it's really tough because it's like I. Because both are traumatic experiences, obviously. Yeah, and it's still your brain. Like when you're that young, you can't tell the difference between a medically certified per procedure procedure and and rape like so the fact of the matter is i mean every every professional i've talked to said it was medical abuse but my mind is also still like i don't know maybe it wasn't maybe i'm just making a big deal anyway but like the fact of the matter is in in the mind my little three-year-old brain took it in as sexual abuse so i might as well treat it as such you know same yeah same ballpark it's the same ballpark and it's just like it's just it's not like everybody comes away from the procedure traumatized but if you're being negligent to the patient or you're not following the process and maybe they were following the process and it's just a shitty process that's it it definitely could have been um but it comes across the same way and so i eventually kind of i mean honestly only over the past year or so i like I've been trying to embrace the fact that I was traumatized and it's okay. And it's like, yeah, I'm not just making a big deal out of it. And it's just, it's just a shitty precedent. Like, I think that is literally my first memory and it's such a shitty precedent to have to like grow up with in that. It, it just, it is what it is, but there's so many things where I'm like, man, if I didn't have that traumatic experience, I would have probably been so much more open with people in my life, you know? And stuff like that. And like, but it's also kind of given me an, an appreciation of like owning it, I guess. Yeah, you have to. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's so weird because, and this is something that a lot of people who've been through this or other like sexual trauma experiences, and mm-hmm. I'd call it a sexual trauma experience, even though like, I don't want to say this to like implicate the people who are doing it, even though it was medical abuse. I don't yeah. know why my brain is like, I have to protect those people. I'm like, I have to protect those people. And even though I've talked to other professionals that are like, yeah, you're not naming them. So it doesn't, I mean, I, mean, I don't even know their names. <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> I was three. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, they're probably just doing their job. I mean, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, which just, is as messed up as it is, but 
there's just, I think the other thing is like, I talked to my therapist and she's like, there's loads of things that we would consider sexual abuse that are, but were legal at the time, you know, like in, in Canada, there were, um, for educational purposes, there were doctors who would do, um, like vaginal exams on women while they were passed out without getting their consent before knocking them out. Like if they were already passed out for like to teach their students or like, here's how you do a vaginal exam. And it was, it was legal. Hey. And it's like, and, and like thinking of that, I'm like, well, that was legal. I would definitely consider that sexual assault. So oh, why yeah. am I invalidating my experience? Cause it's, yeah, I mean, it's just like, we're, I mean, as humans, I mean, we did a lot of things that are yeah and you know as long as we just got to hope that those things change once we realize how bad they are you know how traumatic mm-hmm. and how impactful it can be on people that have to experience that and it yeah. sounds like they've changed that process from what you've gathered a little bit like it's tough because or at least I, like they walk them through it and yeah so there it so as of 2011 it's not like you're yeah it, yeah it, you never know but it's tough because like a lot of it I still was because I was really curious about that too and looking at a lot of medical literature there I still would say things like if you have a if you have a a young boy he'll be um he'll get anesthesia I'm like okay can the, can the young girls get it too? <laughs> like, yeah. I get the, I get the physiology of why, but can we also just get it? <laughs> yeah. There's no shortage of anesthesia that I'm aware of. It's just like, you know, it's just a gel, you know? Um, but anyway, and there's, so it's still, it's still annoying. Cause looking at like the medical documents today, a lot of them are like, it will never, it won't be painful for your child. It won't be painful for your child. It just be uncomfortable. I'm like, uh, depends on the radiologist and the nurse. <laughs> Are they good at their job? Do they know what they're doing? Is the child yeah. chilled out or is a child thrashing around and have to be held down by adults that they don't know? You know, like that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just annoying. Cause there's so many stories of parents going in and trying to coach their child on what will happen. And maybe the child completely understands and they go in and some step has been totally not explained to anyone. And then they come out of it and they're like, mom, you didn't tell me that. Why didn't you tell me that? I, I, I was, that, did I do something wrong? You know? And like, Mm-hmm. it's that's so messed up man <laughs> yeah that but, sounds awful yeah i i don't know i think it part of me is just like i'll just own it um because even though my subconscious mind kind of wants to fight it i didn't do anything wrong even though my my mind kind of yeah. wants to blame myself oh yeah i mean you were but you were it makes no sense no, it makes no sense to blame my three-year-old self, but my mind's like, no, you know, maybe you did it. You weren't good enough. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. It is, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's just kind of that thing. I think I think the tra- traumatized brain tries to protect itself to a degree, and sometimes mm-hmm. almost some of that is gaslighting itself and downplaying oh, yeah. itself because it's like we want to make it less of a of a of a big deal. So we don't have to deal with the ramifications of its reality. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm also trying to empathize with my own subconscious mind more 
which sounds silly because I have, I'm, I'm one person in one body, mm-hmm. but there's things that my subconscious mind is keeping for me that I'm now kind of allowing it to tell me, I guess. And I have to understand that it's been protecting me and I need to talk with it and say, not all of this is good. I don't want you to do all these things. I want you to let some boundaries open, mm-hmm. but part of like being like a survivor of a, of a, of a childhood sexual trauma experience um, is learning to just comfort that child, um, comfort the child that you would have been. And mm-hmm. so much of that is stored in the subconscious brain. So one thing I'm doing right now is I'm doing hypnosis, which is, it's really interesting. So that's what I'm doing. If you've done like sensory deprivation tanks, I haven't done sensory deprivation tanks myself, but if you have, it's probably going to do something similar for you. Like I would say, and you don't have to do it. I'm just saying, you know, if you ever did hypnosis, I'd say it kind of feels like like when you're about to fall asleep and you're, you know, maybe you're seeing like flashes in your brain, mm-hmm. you know, on a, just a normal day, except you're not sleepy. Um, and I think, I know we're getting kind of close to time. So let me know if you want me to wrap things up, but the thing yeah, about we're like, get, we're getting there, but it's okay. Yeah. I could just talk about hypnosis real quick. Cause I think it's, it's really handy for people who've been through traumatic experiences um is that is it similar to meditating or no i guess i don't really know what the distinction would be but i guess you could i mean you can self-hypnotize so okay. i guess meditation but you can need be that. somebody to hypnotize you basically for the most part uh, yeah i don't know i've never really done self-hypnotism because it's kind of the thing where like if i'm in my own brain too much I, I might stress yeah. myself out. Yeah. So I'd rather have somebody else just walk sure. me through it. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be the whole thing of therapy is I don't want to be stuck in my own brain. I need somebody else to talk to me. Exactly. Um, but basically the function of hypnosis is, you know, you have your conscious brain where you're just using it on a day-to-day basis. Like I can think things like it's nighttime out. That's a thing that I can consciously think the subconscious brain is like, these like instincts that are in you that you that help you out or hinder you in situations but you don't you can't consciously access so basically the purpose of hypnosis like in like media there's kind of a misconception that it like causes you to do everything that that they want you to do which is not true at all yeah 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 you basically are just put into a subconscious state where you, your conscious brain talks to your subconscious brain. So like before a session, I'll tell my therapist the things that I want her to say, which is coming from my conscious brain. Cause I'm telling her the things. Yeah. And then while I'm under, she will say those things to me. And that communicates it to the subconscious brain. Um, and the, the, the cool thing about hypnosis is even though somebody else is saying the words, it's entirely self-directed. So if your subconscious brain says, I don't like, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. then you're not going to do it. So that's really what's helping right now. Um, I'm 
basically just kind of working through some of those innate trauma responses that I no longer need because I am in a good place. Yeah. Um, telling my brain, you don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So I, if you ever feel like, I mean, hypnosis is is something uh, neat to try. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely intriguing for sure. There's, there's very few downsides to it. The only thing is like to you or to anybody who listens, if you're, if you're not in a good place, Like if you're in like an abusive relationship, let's say, and you're trying to get rid of those trauma responses, that's not necessarily good because your brain might be giving you those, like those gut reactions. That's a subconscious thought. Yeah. It might be giving you those gut reactions because it wants to protect you. So you might not want to do hypnosis because you're probably not in a place to do it. But for Mm me, I'm in a very stable situation right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Where. I just want to get rid of them. Cause I'm like, or not get rid of them, but just suppress them because yeah. I don't need them. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's something it's, it's really interesting. Um, it's definitely best if you have like a subconscious thing that you're trying to get rid of, like maybe like a, an innate through an innate trauma response or, you know, a phobia. Sometimes that can help. Um, it actually, there has been some studies about hypnosis during a VCUG helping children. So I can definitely see that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. It might be something interesting to try. Although I will say that, you know, if you have like a deep seated problem, you're not going to get it done in one session. You're going to have to go several times. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's, it's been helpful so far. I was a little bit skeptical. I knew I originally was going to major in psychology. So I knew that hypnosis was legit. I just didn't know if it would affect me well, but it definitely did. And I guess in hindsight, I dissociate all the time. So it kind of makes sense. The only time I've really heard about hypnosis and talked to people who have not even really talked to them directly, indirectly, or people that have quit smoking because of hypnosis. That could definitely be a thing. That's the only time I've heard about experiences with it. Um, yeah, so obviously I know of... it's a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I know it exists and I know um, people wouldn't be doing it if people weren't going there and paying them mm-hmm. to do it. Well, so. people will pay for all sorts of things that don't really work if they think it'll fix their problem. Good point. <laughs> but hypnosis is legitimate. It's not some been around for a quack long science. Time. It's, it, it, it is a quack science as is de- depicted in like cartoons or whatnot yeah yeah but it's just telling yourself things that you want to be told and you want to do yourself it's just helping you your subconscious brain chill out about it like if if my therapist said something to me during hypnosis that my subconscious brain did not like it would not accept it and Mm -hmm. i'm the one who tells her what to say so (laughs) i have run into situations where i have told her a phrase to say she said it under hypnosis and my subconscious brain is like, no, we're not doing that. And I'm like, okay, all right. We have to rephrase it because my subconscious brain is being all dramatic. We got to tell it something else, you know. Got to speak its language. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say, yeah, trauma is really interesting. Um, I think the best thing for me is just, you know, if, if anyone goes through a traumatic experience, just talk to at least one person about it or just like vent to somebody about it. Yeah. Keeping it to yourself is like the worst thing to Mm -hmm. do. I think plus like, honestly, just a lot of people are, have been traumatized or have been sexually abused. Like it's sad, but it's true. And it's really not a, 
it doesn't say anything about you and it's not a big deal in the sense of like people aren't really going to see you that differently mm-hmm. uh, if at all and if they do see you differently then dump them <laughs> you know yeah, like, that's how that's how I feel about it mm-hmm. um yeah I think ultimately that's kind of my takeaway of like find people especially who've been in similar situations as you because oh, my yeah. trauma is pretty specific child yeah. sexual trauma because it's not necessarily motivated by the same sort of like deviousness as a lot of other ones so it's yeah, more exactly. about like like I don't really think that the people doing that test were intending for getting something out of to, it or like getting yeah like any sort of like pleasure out of it or yeah. intending to harm me yeah I think it's just more negligence and like my brain can still take it in as sexual trauma, even if I don't think the intentions were inherently like evil. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think that's kind of just talk to people, man. That's all you got to (laughs) do. Really? Seriously, though, I mean, yeah, I mean, do it in baby steps. One thing I was telling somebody, I'm like, I was talking to somebody else who had been through um, VCUG trauma. And I was like, listen, like if you, like if one on your anxiety scale is like, I am 100% comfortable, nothing is wrong. And like 10 is like, I'm so anxious. I feel like I'm going to die. Do like a 1.5, you know, like push yourself a tiny bit, a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. You have to start out with smaller things and work your way up. It's like, it's a high what I did with my therapist was like a fear hierarchy and kind of worked our way up mm-hmm. the hierarchy and I'm still working my way up too. Yeah. And honestly, it's fine if you fall down, like it's, it's and okay. I yeah. I, that's super normal though. Like that's something that people don't realize. And I don't know if you're necessarily talking about like relapses or anything, but you know, I no, have, no, I'm talking about OCD. Uh, oh, OCD. Yeah. yeah. Well that too, anything like it's okay to, even if you go like back to the beginning, whatever, just, just, just that, that is how we treat relapses i mean you know being in recovery and somebody relapses we just like just come back as soon as you can like telling yourself admit that you relapse as soon mm-hmm. as possible and get back in don't you know be, get stuck in that shame that guilt that oh i relapsed so you know yeah. i'm just gonna keep doing i'm just gonna keep using because then that's going to make it even harder to come back. The longer you mm-hmm. stay out there, as they say, and keep doing what you're doing, the harder it is to get back on the path that you were on. And we are very used to, you know, in the recovery community. Some people have to relapse or go through multiple relapses before they get it. You know, not mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, goes into recovery and just never relapses. It doesn't it's actually it's pretty super rare. common like yeah like it's super common I've dealt with like self-harm issues and it's super common in self-harm too to just relax yeah, recovering like, from anything and it's just it's fine like it's just fine <laughs> like I guess I I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing anyone but it's it's okay like it's yeah, like, don't go do it but don't go it do happens, it but like yeah, yeah it, it, there's no reason to like psychologically self-harm yourself after you've done worse. a harmful act just brush it off man <laughs> i know that sounds bad but like it sounds my, way easier it sounds it's oh it totally is but i think i'm just kind of talking to myself maybe my past self at this point but you know if something bad happens if you relapse and your brain is all funky just give it a little bit of time and just get back on your feet you know if you re- if you relapse 20 times it's fine whatever just keep going <laughs> 
Yeah. Just keep like, remember the end goal and what you want, what you really want. Yeah. It's, I think the thing that helps too, is just, it's super common to relapse. It's super common to go on a mental health journey and then get worse again. It's super common. It's super, super, super common. Or go right so, back where you started from. It's totally common. It's totally fine. It's totally normal. Like, I think when people get caught up in their own little brains, their little brain sounds mean. And when they get caught up in their own brains, they think that like they are the exception and they are this the worst thing ever. And oh yeah, nobody everybody like th- everybody thinks they're so unique, and it's like you really aren't though. Yeah, I mean it's okay to like you love are, the unique you parts of yourself, but your struggles aren't are honestly not very unique. You're, You're still not going the to first find person people. to ever experience this. Mm-hmm. It's almost absurd. Like when I first started going to therapy, I've had the for my same therapist for 10 years. That's when I awesome. first started going, That's to, rare. Yeah, she's, she's really great. Um, she's the first therapist I had and I've had her for 10 years. When I first Holy started shit. going to her, I was like, it took me like three or four years to actually start talking about my problems though. Oh yeah. Classic. Which knowing my background, you can kind of understand, but yeah. Um, when I first started going to her, looking back, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm so fucked up. I'm a 16 year old with depression and self-harm. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> How many people she's talked to that has it? Yeah. It, like later on, I was talking to her and I was like, what's the most like messed up thing you've seen? And she told me something. I was like, ah, okay. I, I think you've seen a few depressed teenagers that are not nearly as bad. Let's just say it was something extremely illegal. <laughs> Yeah. She's worked with killers and whatnot before. So, and not just like defense in self-defense killers, like people who like get pleasure out of it. So I was like, ah, I think I'm not that weird. If I am like a 16 year old suicidal child. (laughs) No, yeah, actually you're weird. If you're not, um, in a sense, well, at that age, yeah, I mean, it's pretty common at that age. it's, It's very common. It's, Mine was like 13, 14, but yeah, like, honestly, I think I, I probably like had self-harm tendencies from like six or so. Um, but they just didn't seem like it at the time. I had very weird ways. Like I'd bite myself and stuff and I didn't really know how to like classify that again. Like at the time I was like, I'm just a weird kid. I'm a weird kid. I'm a weird kid, you know? I mean, I was a weird kid. I like weird things, yeah. but not like I'm a weird in a fun way. <laughs> yeah. The weird I was back then was traumatized. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I think bottom line, just like open up to people and you're not that special, which sounds mean, but it's like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. In a good way. You're not. I guess you're not that unique. Yeah. It, um, you're your struggle is not that unique. Exactly. There's a bajillion people who have been through the same similar things as that you, is even one with good. like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. That is one good thing about the internet though. Like, mm-hmm. like you were saying, you were able to find um, other people who have experienced the same type of, cause you have a you very unique story. Yeah. Like I have a very unique trauma experience, but I was able to find a community of it. So mm-hmm. you can too. <laughs> yeah you know so i yeah whether it's reddit or reddit's Reddit. the place to go reddit if you want to talk to people see that's the thing like i search up like vcug and i see like all these like hospital records and i'm like hmm, vcug reddit and it's like 
here's how the VCUG fucked me up. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Oh man, Reddit's just like, and Reddit hasn't changed like that much. That's the thing is about Reddit that's so cool. And I'm not even a huge Reddit nerd. I have some. I don't. Friends, neither me. But I have some friends that are just. They've been deep into Reddit for years, but yeah. I know it's some place you can go. I mainly use it to stream stuff when I don't want to pay for it. Um, <laughs> I, I have never used it for that, but I it, uh, that like, does not surprise me. Like, uh, like I don't watch a lot of like UFC or anything like that or oh, like, yeah. pay per view. Um, but you can usually find like a streaming uh, or like uh, if I was or, you know, I just had my phone or um, and wanted to watch like um, like a championship game or some some type mm-hmm. of sporting event where it was like, you know, I obviously don't have any way to connect to any type of uh, satellite or anything on my phone. I'd have to mm-hmm. find a way to stream it. Uh, and Reddit was usually my go-to. For that. Yeah. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in other communities. I mean, um, I found uh, a huge community of, people um of oc people with ocd and therapists that Mm -hmm. specialize in ocd on instagram actually i instagram interesting just a huge community i'm setting up uh well they're gonna be yeah basically kind of like podcasts but we're gonna be doing instagram lives uh Mm -hmm. where we go live together and it helps you know us you know kind of basically mesh our our followers together and go live and talk about OCD and uh, I'll Mm -hmm. be able to pick their brands because these are people like I had to one one lady I had to schedule out uh, because she's so busy and she has such a good following and she just creates awesome content that's cool I had to schedule her in June (laughs) like oh boy it was like it was like I can see my psychiatrist quicker than I can see you, <laughs> and that's uh, true, which is funny. And yeah, well, that's that cool though. Finding, but yeah, that's another good thing I like to bring up a lot is, yeah, finding the right therapist and the right psychiatrist uh, is so important, and mm-hmm. somebody that you can really trust, and you know, you having that relationship uh, that you've had with your therapist for so long, and not having to start over i've had to start over with so many and it's just like mm-hmm. uh here we go and uh there's just yeah. so many there's so many layers to me and there's so many layers to everyone mm-hmm. uh that you they have to start they have to peel all over again you know sometimes they get like a you know a background or they talk to the other therapist but they can only tell them so much and she has only yeah. one phone call and but yeah I, one thing I'm doing right now is I'm working through this self-help workbook. Um, I'm always skeptical about self-help because, but I'm, I'm weird. Um, this one's specifically for uh, childhood sexual abuse survivors. And so it's kind of in my realm, but mm-hmm. one of the things that it co- talks about is like, yes, you want to, you want to, it's good to reach out to anybody. Um, it's good to reach out to any therapist, but also keep in mind, you are a consumer. You you are allowed to say no exactly. to a therapist. That's another you thing. Are, uh, like, and I was talking to a friend who's been through similar experiences. Um, 
And I was just saying, because these are human beings. These are not like yeah. robot people that know everything. You're allowed in any, any, any doctor situation, you're mm-hmm. allowed to say, I don't like the way you're treating me. Yeah. I don't like that. You're invalidating my experiences. I don't want to continue with this. Or I don't you know? like this recommendation. Or... No. Yeah. And I really do think like, I don't think you need to be skeptical of every doctor necessarily, even though my traumatized brain says you do actually no, yeah, that's, that's gotten you, better, but <laughs> you need to have, you need to be somewhat skeptical, logical, you need yeah. to be logical about it. It's okay to be, I think the bottom line is it's okay to be upfront with what you need. Exactly. Um, it's actually preferred. Yeah. It, you should be. It helps everybody. And if they don't, if they don't agree with it, then you're not a good match. It might not even be they're a bad person. It might not be that they yeah. want anything bad for you. You just might not be a good match. You need to find someone else. That's, that's something you have to kind of learn with, um, with seeking out therapy. It's nice to talk to people. It's nice to make connections, but like, they're also a person you are hiring <laughs> to help you. So they need to meet your expectations. And I think being a little, a little bit firm with what you need can go a long way. Yeah. I have to remind my, uh, what something I've learned from just years of therapy and different therapists is my ability. And I think it's subconsciously, sometimes consciously to, it's more subconsciously, but to throw my therapist off and just talk about something completely different and just throw them off mm-hmm. topic and start talking about something. And then the session's over and we didn't talk about anything that we should have talked about. Yeah. I've done that so many times. So I had to be upfront with my last two therapists and be like, Hey, look, I do this. You need to like, call me out. I don't care how you do it. Uh, be like hey we need to get back on track uh because this Mm -hmm. is something that i do it's like a defense mechanism yeah i mean that's really avoidance um i've done that too i love avoidance it's my (laughs) well i mean like you were talking about you know about my compulsions that's it's the same principle like i definitely like i said i mean i didn't really actually dig into my issues until like three or four years into therapy Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i was just like yeah school's good it's all good don't worry about it (laughs) let's not talk about this yeah i'm good yeah so, yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is just they've seen everything. Oh, it's yeah. not that shocking if you go into a place and you're like, oh, I have an eating disorder. Oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I, I, I use drugs. Oh, well, you know, it's they've seen everything. It's not that it's not going to be wild. You're not going to shock someone. Thank you for you taking the time that. to listen to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. Remember to drop a review on Apple or Spotify if you're listening there or any other platform you can leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. More episodes coming soon. I'm trying to stay consistent as possible. Head on over to www.moderndayoverthinker.com for all the links that you need to follow and keep up with me on social media. And for all the new episodes that drop... Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast networks. If you find a podcast platform we are not on, please let me know.